Well, I can't believe that we actually got to the end of this series. It's um, kind of a serious uh, interrupt us. We got kind of cut off a couple of times, but today we're going to get to the end of our series uh, from the book of Hebrews. I've been calling Faith with Boots On, and I can't believe that I'm actually going to end with a 20-point message today. I don't know if that scares anybody. <laughs> but uh, as I put in my notes, maybe a 20-point message is better than a pointless one. <laughs> and so we shall see. Uh, actually, I, I just feel kind of overwhelmed as I went back through the last chapter of uh, Hebrews again. As I think about the challenges in that chapter of living like those great men and women of faith who left behind, well, what we, in one song says, the heritage of faithfulness passed uh, on through godly lives, you know, that we would remain faithful as well. So I thought today, for one last time, we'd take a journey through the entire chapter, Hebrews 11, and remind ourselves of those people who ran the race of faith before us. And this chapter actually starts out by telling us what faith is, and it defines faith by describing how it works. And so we're going to take a look at 20 descriptions of faith this morning. So here's the very first one. Faith always involves the unseen. See, that refers to faith as the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's verse 1 of that chapter. See, by faith, we see what the world cannot see. Now, the world always says, seeing is believing. But what we learned in that first part of this chapter is that God says, no, believing is seeing. That's where faith comes in. Faith involves the unseen. Well, here's number two. Faith wins God's approval. Now, that refers to the Old Testament heroes of God. You can read that in verse two of that chapter. And in some churches, in fact, when I'm down in prison, and I get a chance to preach down there, uh, I learn from them. I I don't do it here in churches when I preach outside of prison. Occasionally I do it in prison, but you get to the point where you say, you know, can I get a witness? Can I get a witness? And people shout out, Amen! Amen! Or they say, you know, come on, preach it! Preach it! Uh, or come on, come on! Uh, and uh, that's what verse 2 here in this chapter literally means. But here, it's only God who's doing the witnessing. So when Moses stands up for righteousness, or when David kills Goliath, Or when the three Hebrew guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, refuse to bow down and end up in the fiery furnace. When Nehemiah goes to build the walls, uh, when Elijah defeats the prophets of Baal, it's God who's standing there clapping and shouting, Amen! Amen! And they belong to me. So that's what this means. Faith wins God's approval. Well, why is that? It's because God loves it. God absolutely loves it when his people dare to trust him. He loves it so much that he bears witness to the world that his people belong to him. Yeah, that's one of mine. He gives us literally a standing ovation. Well, here's the third point. Faith explains the universe. And I didn't touch much on this. We would preach through this. But this refers to the great question in verse 3 of how did the world actually get to, get to us today? Uh, did we evolve from molecule, molecules to man in some sort of uh, undirected, random act of choice? Well, if you believe in evolution, you say, yeah, that's the way it happened. Uh, they say that evolution explains the universe and everything that's in it. 
But Hebrews 11, verse 3, tells us that God designed the universe. Uh, He designed it, he framed it, and then he spoke it into existence, and he spoke, and the stars, boom, were suddenly in the sky. And the mountains rose up out of this nothingness. Uh, He spoke, and you got birds flying all over the place. Uh, The fish start swimming and jumping up in and out of the ocean. Rabbits hopping all over the place. He grabs some dirt. Boom, what does he got? He's got Adam. He breathes into Adam the breath of life and uh, had him name the animals, uh, put him to sleep, snatched a rib. Uh, This wasn't the first rib dinner, uh, but this is the first rib. We taste the rib. You know he makes uh, Eve out of that rib. And then he performs the very first wedding ceremony in Genesis chapter 2. Now, science, if you take science, science plus faith will always lead you back to God. But... Science without faith leaves you in kind of a hopeless mess. How often have you heard in the last year, follow the science? Uh, No, following the science doesn't lead you anywhere close to God. It leads you back to man. Well, here's number four. Faith gains acceptance with God. This would be Abel, who in verse four, offered a better sacrifice from Cain. Now, even though God accepted his sacrifice, jealousy caused his brother, Cain, to murder him. But I want you to note something. Both of these men were, quote, religious men, but it was not religion that God wanted. He never wanted a whole river of blood uh, as the payment for all of sin. Uh, it, It was the faith that was behind the sacrifice that really mattered. And so in Genesis chapter 4, verse 4, it's pretty crucial to note that God looked at favor on, uh, with favor on Abel's offering, but the order is crucial. It's first the man, then the offering, and it's the same thing for Cain. But see, man kind of looks on the outward and makes his judgments that way, that God always looks at the heart first. And Cain's heart was not in it. See, where there is no faith, it doesn't make any difference how big your offering is going to be, it really doesn't matter. Well, here's number five. Faith pleases God. Now, this would be one of my favorite characters. This is Enoch. And we didn't spend much time with Enoch. That's in verses five and six. But at age 65, isn't that interesting? At age 65, when most of us think about retiring, Enoch starts walking with God. And he starts walking with God when his first son, Methuselah, remember the guy that lives to be 969 years old, was born. And I wondered as I thought about this whether he, like many men who don't really get very serious about, uh, let's say, marriage and family until they actually look into the face of their firstborn son or their firstborn daughter. But suddenly they kind of realize this heavy weight of responsibility that suddenly is thrust upon them as a dad. Now, in any case, he walked with God for an additional 300 years. And Scripture says that one day Enoch and God had walked so far that God said to him, uh, why don't you just come home with me? And then what happens is Enoch walked beyond space and time into eternity. Now, I have no idea how I'm going to pass away, but I don't. it would be a really great thing if I could just be walking with God one day, and then I was no more, and Nancy would be looking around, where did he go? <laughs> well, God took him. Well, see, he was not because God took him off the earth and allowed him to enter heaven without experiencing death. 
Now, here's number six. Faith saves your family. Now, that would be Noah who builds an ark when he had never ever, believe it or not, it never rained up to that point. That's in verse 7. And he preaches righteousness to a generation that cared nothing at all for his message. Imagine the time building an ark in a place where it had never rained and people coming by every day and saying, hey, what are you up to? (laughs) Yeah, it's the goofy guy over there building the boat again and there ain't no water around here. Now, when the world is going to go to hell around you, Noah finds grace in the eyes of the Lord. So I think we need to take heart from his example again. You can be godly in a very ungodly world. I don't think there's anybody that can look around today and say that we don't live in an ungodly society. It seems like every day we kind of drift a little bit further away from God. So what are the godly to do? Stand up. So stop complaining about the evil in in the day. As bad as things are today, guess what? They were worse in the days of Noah. I mean, back then, there were what? Eight believers. We got more than that here. We have far more spiritual advantages today than Noah did. All we need is the courage to do what Noah did and to believe what God said. Now, here's number seven. Uh, Faith steps out and never looks back. I came back from preaching at my 60th high school reunion. Our class motto was onward ever, backwards never. And that's been kind of the theme of our, of our high school life and kind of the theme of my own life. You know, keep on going forward. Don't look back, you know, because something might be gaining on you. Uh, that would be Abraham who left Ur of the Chaldees as a prosperous middle-aged businessman who heard the voice of God and took off to a land that he knew nothing about. That's verses like 8, 9, and 10 of this chapter. See, living by faith here means stepping out for God and leaving the results to him. Uh, It's no guarantee of a long life. It's no guarantee of great success. You You may have those blessings, that's for sure, but you may not. See, the life of faith means I'm going to be the person God wants me to be no matter where it leads. I don't know what the future is, but I'm trusting him to work out the details And in the meantime, I'm just going to step out by faith and build that ark or do whatever it is that God calls me to do. You wouldn't believe how many times I've thought about that in reference to this place called Restore. I don't know where this is going, but I believe God has called me and others to this place. Here's number eight. Faith raises up a godly heritage. That Sarah who believes in the promise of God when she's 90 years old. She's 90 years old. And even after the scandalous situation between Hagar and Ishmael, they tried to circumvent God's plan. God never wavered in desiring to give children to Abraham and Sarah. And so it happens that one day a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman made it happen. Now, though she never lived to see her grandchildren, her faith brought forth an entire multitude, the children of Israel. Here's number nine. Faith believes what it sees in the distance. We looked at this. These are the Old Testament believers in verses 13, 14, 15, 16 of this chapter who lived and died and never received all that God had actually promised them. But they never gave up. And so God was proud of them because of their faith. And that's why he called them my sons and my daughters. Well, here's number ten. Faith holds nothing back. 
That's Abraham. Remember that story? Abraham is told, offer up your son Isaac. Those are verses like 17, 18, 19 of this chapter. Uh, kind of typifying the coming death and the resurrection of Jesus many centuries later. And, and in so doing, he demonstrated that true faith actually goes all in for God. He does not withhold his dearest and his best. Now here's number 11. Faith sees beyond the moment of death. Now who are we talking about here? You remember these names. That's Isaac, that's Jacob, and that's Joseph. That's father, son, and grandpa. One of Nancy's favorite messages in this series to hear about how faith is passed on from generation to generation to generation. Remember, Jacob blessed his sons. Jacob blessed his grandsons. And then you had Joseph who said, don't you dare leave my bones in Egypt. Get those bones back to the land that God promised. See, Joseph knew that death would not cancel God's promises. Well, here's number 12. Faith risks everything gladly. That would be the parents of Moses. Remember little Moses? A little Moses who defied uh, his parents, who defied Pharaoh's order, put him in a little ark, which is kind of interesting, putting him in, the word is ark, and uh, hid Moses in the bulrushes so that he would not be put to death. You read about that story in verse 23 of Hebrews 11. They feared God. They did not fear Pharaoh. They sensed God somehow had a purpose for their little baby, one that they could well, they could not have imagined at the time. I mean, who would have ever thought, we're going to hide our little baby so he doesn't die, but someday he's going to come back and take us, out, take us out of this land. They had no idea that was going to happen. As far as we know, no angel came to them one night and said, your son someday is going to deliver God's people uh, from Egypt. But they knew that he was a gift from God, that uh, their son deserved their love, and their protection, and so they risked everything to keep him alive. Now, number 13, faith refuses the world. Now, this would be, of course, Moses. We spent a little bit more time with him in verses 24 through 28. Uh, the Egyptians didn't really understand Moses. And it came a point where Moses suddenly realized, I'm not Egyptian. This is not about me. And even though he was raised in Pharaoh's court, he was raised by a loving woman, obviously, Pharaoh's daughter, who took good care of him. Even though he was taught the Egyptian language, even though he was raised in Egyptian culture, even though he was raised in the lap of luxury, and potentially he was even heir to the throne itself, he realized this didn't really amount to much because he knew who he was and where he came from. And so like Daniel, another one of these great people of faith from a different time, a different uh, place, he could not be seduced because he remembered his heritage. I can remember how many times I would leave the house in the evening, and some of you know my grandparents raised me, and the last thing they would tell me when I left the house is, don't forget who you are. Now, I, it took me a while to figure out what they meant, but they, I think what they're saying is we don't want anybody in town to say, what did Klaus and Holda Aaron's dumb grandkid do now? You know, remember your heritage. That's what it comes from. When the chips were down, he remembered his heritage. Uh, he, he walked away from Egypt and took up the cause of God 40 years later. Well, here's number 14. 14 separates the church from the world. 
And this is the one that I, I pray about. I, I thought about this so often, to separate the church from this world. Now, we know the church needs to be in the world, but the church also needs to be separate enough not to be infected or infested by the things of this world. Now, see, this would be Moses and Israel standing in front of the Red Sea. That's in verse 29 of this chapter. They experienced, and it's got to be one of the greatest miracles in the Bible, you know, when Charlton Heston, well, not Charlton Heston, but Moses raised his rod up over the Red Sea, and it parts. And while they walked walked through on dry ground, well, we know what happened when the Egyptians tried to follow them. The waters came in, drowned them all. So, Faith makes a great separation in the world. Now, today, it's kind of hard to tell who's who. And as the saying goes, you can't tell the players sometime without a scorecard. But the Lord knows his people. And he takes note of their faith. He knows who really is sold out. He knows who really belongs to him. And the great judgment, and the great judgment to come, true faith, in Jesus will be the bright dividing line between the saved and the lost. Well, here's number 15. Faith brings down the walls of impossibility. We spent a lot of time on this story, as I remember. Uh, this would be Joshua and the people of Jericho, uh, the, and, the, and the people of Israel who marched around Jericho for seven straight days. That's verse 30. Now, again, nothing could have been, I don't know, more of an absurd uh, visualization would be inside of this multi-walled, big, monstrous city up on the top of a hill and seeing people walking around it every day in silence. It, uh, there is no way that the Jews could ever get into that walled city but God. Now, that's my favorite little two-word phrase, but God. I had somebody recently ask me what I thought were the two most important words in the Bible. I mean, think about that for a moment. What are the two most important words in the Bible? Well, some people say, well, God created. Or God so, well, we got to add in the third word, love. And I said, I think some of the most important words are just, but God. You know, when we start to count up our problems, and, and they kind of look, over, look overwhelming, uh, and maybe some of you feel that way today, maybe you feel like you're kind of backed into a corner, and maybe your situation seems kind of hopeless, but if so, remember... But God, we got God here. Here's 16. Faith redeems an unsavory past. I got email about preaching about a prostitute. It wasn't all positive. <laughs> That's the danger of putting my messages online and being heard. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm blown away when I look at the map and see where the people live that, that hear these messages. I mean, I've got, I got regular listeners in Spain and France and India. Uh, but it was like, th- that doesn't seem like something you want to talk about in church. What possessed you to do that? I mean, and it's interesting, the word possessed caught me because it was like as if the devil made me talk about prostitutes in church. Well, you know the story. You got to preach what's in God's word. I mean, this is a story about Rahab. Uh, she had three strikes against her. Remember those? She was a woman. She was a Gentile. And on top of that, she was, well, the word in Scripture was a harlot. And Scripture makes absolutely no attempt whatsoever to cover that up. I mean, she trades sex with men for money in, well, what some people call the world's oldest profession. 
But, but, but God, here comes God again. But God, because she hid the spies, they promised to spare her if she did what? If she would hang that scarlet cord out of her window. And when the great invasion finally came, she was spared. And not only was she spared, her entire family was spared, while the entire city she lived in was completely destroyed. And we know for a fact, if you read Jesus' genealogy, she's in Jesus' genealogy. Wow, Jesus came through the line of a prostitute? Yeah. See, the story really teaches us that no one, absolutely no one, is beyond the reach of God's grace. See, even in the midst of judgment, God reaches out and saves a prostitute who turns to him in faith. Well, here's 17. Uh, This is kind of the icky um, teaching we did. Faith empowers flawed heroes. I don't know if you remember that story about the flawed heroes. This would be Gideon, Barak, uh, Samson, and Jephthah. I don't know if you remember that message. Four flawed heroes from the book of Judges. Um, and that's in, in 32. Now, normally we think these are all pretty great guys, but these guys had some serious, serious weaknesses. I mean, Gideon, uh, Gideon defeated the, the Midianites, even though he was scared to death. I mean, who am I? I shouldn't be doing this. And he is scared. You got Barak who defeats the Canaanites only because he's forced into battle by a woman, and then ultimately another woman captures the uh, other uh, attacking army by nailing a tent peg through his head, also kind of a cool story. You've got Samson, who defeats the Philistines, but can't keep his hands off of Philistine women and doing all kinds of other goofy stuff. And then you've got Jephthah, if those three clowns weren't enough, Jephthah makes this rash promise to God, if you help me win this battle, I will kill the first thing that comes out of my house, and he ends up killing his virgin daughter. Now, none of those guys would be what we might call wholly admirable. They were all messed up one way or another, which makes them pretty much like who? us like us if God can use them what can God do he can also use us well here's 18 18 faith overcomes the odds this would be all of the um, heroes of the Old Testament who went into battle and won great victories you can read about that in verses 33 34 35 this would be Daniel in the lion's den this would be his three friends in the fiery furnace Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This would be the widow of Zarephath and the Shunammite woman who received their sons back from the dead. I mean, so faith overcame some really great odds. Almost getting to the 20th point. 19. Faith pays a great price. This was this whole part in verses 35, 36, 37, and 38 when it talked about all of these martyrs, martyrs who were hated, martyrs who were abused, they were mocked, they were pursued, they were falsely accused, they were tortured, they were put to death, they hid in caves, they hid in in holes in the ground. But there was nothing at all wrong with their faith. 
they were just as pleasing to God as the saints who were delivered by these monumental miracles we talked about. And lastly, we come to number 20. Faith joins us with a glorious past. Verses 39 and 40, let me read these words to you. These were all commended for their what? Faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that the only that only together with us would they be made perfect. See, that would be all the men and women down through history who lived by faith. And here the Lord means that we should stand back and look at this long list of heroes. And I hope and pray that you will never ever look at Hebrews 11 again and and not think about how God looks at that list. Says, you know, by the way, look at this list. These are my kids. These are my kids. They all belong to me. They, they all did some great things by faith. See, we can go from Enoch to Rahab. We can go from Jephthah to Sarah, uh, from Daniel to Elijah, from Moses to Hezekiah, from Jeremiah to Esther. They were all commended by God. That leads me to the final question for this final teaching from Hebrews chapter 11. I've got a bunch of questions for you. Who will be the next hero of faith? Why not you? Who will respond to God's call? Why not us? Who will stand up against today's world and speak for Jesus? Why not you? Who will take a big step of faith, or like the old Amy Grant song, Itty Bitty Little Step of Faith? Why not you? Who will march around the walls? Why not you? Who will dream big dreams for God? Why not Mary Evelyn? Who will lead the way for your family? You're now the oldest one in your family of your mother's children. I'm the oldest one in my family. Some of you are too. So who's going to lead the way? Why not you? Who will risk opposition from people who don't like Jesus? Why not us? Who will become the next Abraham or the next Sarah? I'm not saying you have to wait till you're 90 and have a baby or anything with I mentioned Sarah, but who's going to be the next David? Who's going to be the next Esther? And the question we get would be, why not you? Um, who will give up the pleasures of the world for the sake of the cross? Why not you? Why not us? Who will be the next hero of faith? Why not us? Why not you? Lord, I pray that you give us steady courage to follow you so that someday our names might be added to that long list of men and women 
who lived and died by faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.